Rose Point Blank is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Do you know MMA ticket prices tend to drop right before the event starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers and shows you all the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. One of the things that's pretty cool about the app is the panoramic seat view. So, you know, you can get a sense for what you're going to be looking at as you buy these tickets. Highly recommended, especially for the fight context. Uh, so head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome to Gross Point Blank. I am Josh Gross, joining you every week as we do, talking about mixed martial arts on The Athletic. Uh, always appreciate people taking the time to listen. We have a pretty deep, long show for you, a couple long interviews, first with Uriah Faber, uh, talking about his fight coming up, UFC 245, about a month away against Peter Yawn. Important fight for the California kid. Always good to catch up with him. And then we'll talk to someone that I think probably grew up idolizing Uriah Faber in a lot of ways. is Patrick Mix, a Bellator Bantamweight, someone who's had a tremendous uh, year jumping up a level into the Bellator weight class there. He's got a big fight coming up just announced this week um, in Japan, representing Bellator in Ryzen on New Year's Eve. So fun to talk to him. He's a heck of a prospect. If you've not had a chance to uh, seen him fight yet, I would highly recommend go checking out some highlights. Tremendous grappler. So both those interviews, um, you know, lighter weight guys getting their due. Always appreciate the, the chance to, to talk with them. Uh, this week, looking ahead, I just sort of want to hit on really the main event down there in Sao Paulo. The UFC has a card in Sao Paulo, Brazil. The main event's Jan Blakovic against Jacare Souza. Of course, Jacare stepping up now to the light heavyweight division after extensive time down at 185 pounds. And we've seen fighters who have made that leap struggle recently, right? Chris Weidman didn't go his way. Uh, shoot, Luke Rockhold didn't go his way, thanks, uh, of course, to Jan Blakovic. So uh, this is a tough test for Jacare, I think, moving up to fight a legitimate light heavyweight, someone who can carry that size, who is a good grappler. And, you know, my sense is, as much as I've uh, touted Souza and felt like this is a guy who could and probably should have gotten his shot for a UFC championship at 185 pounds, um, did not come. I, I don't I don't know at this stage of the game whether the guy's got it in him to really make a run at light heavyweight. It seems like too tall a hill to climb. I don't know that he's really going to show much against Blakovic. If he does, if he goes off and wins this fight, that says a lot about Jacare. And uh, certainly a lot of us have said a lot of things over Jacare, about Jacare over the years. Well-deserved, tremendous competitor, one of the best jiu-jitsu fighters we've ever seen in mixed martial arts. Super hard-nosed. I think we've seen him now over the last few years step up and change his game, just really sort of you know chomping down on the mouthpiece, willing to engage, willing to throw down, overwhelming opponents with pressure, um, again, that kind of style here against this fighter, against Jan Blakovic, I just don't see it going well. Uh, even if he's at home, even if, you know, he's someone who has a lot left in him, it feels like it's Jan Blakovic's fight to, to lose here. And, um, I'm not sure that he's going to lose this one. It's not going to be a situation. It doesn't seem like if Jan goes off and wins that all of a sudden he's next in line at light heavyweight. There was some discussion that he could be that guy, but more and more John Jones is chirping online on Twitter, that Dominic Reyes is the guy. And hey, Dominic Reyes is undefeated. And if you're John Jones and you're looking at it, doesn't that make sense? Don't you, this this reminds me, and I'm not comparing Dominic Reyes to Canelo Alvarez, but there are similarities to me of when Floyd Mayweather decided, you know what, I'm going to, this is the right time to fight a Canelo. And for John Jones, this is the right time to fight a Dominic Reyes. Why do you fight Dominic Reyes, who's more battle-tested, who's better prepared, who's more secure in himself, who understands the high stakes that he's getting into, who's just ready for that kind of fight. And Dominic Reyes, as much as he wants to say that he's ready to fight John Jones, how, do, how does anyone really know that? How does anyone really know that, considering that he just doesn't quite have the experience that you would think that would warrant that kind of really... Mm, I guess, sense of yourself, right? The confidence in yourself to say, yeah, no, I'm ready for John Jones and fully mean it and not only just mean it because fighters can mean it and not know that they're not prepared, but but be like sharp enough, right? The iron sharpens iron kind of mentality. 
it's it's why that I thought Dominic Reyes should go and fight another contender, should go fight a Corey Anderson now as opposed to a Johnny Walker, right? Or uh, somebody else in that mold because you're not going to get the better of John Jones unless you're the best version of yourself and you know that you can step in and really handle the heat of a moment. And as much as Dominic Reyes has been talking about that, we don't really know that yet. So it makes sense for John Jones to say, no, 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 I'm going to take the kid now worry about everything else next. And he's he's framing it in in a pretty smart way of saying, well, this looks like the toughest challenge for me, and so this is what I'm doing. I'm not so sure it's that. I think it's acknowledgement that Dominic Reyes could be the toughest challenge, but right now it's the smartest fight for him because if you're going to have to fight that guy down the road anyways, you may as well do it now when he's not as uh, prepared. And, and, and that's the signal to me. So whatever happens in this Blakovich-Souza fight, you know, even if Jacare goes out there and shocks the world, I don't. I don't think that the winner here gets John Jones, and I, I'm not. I'm not sure that the UFC could convince anyone that that's the fight that makes sense. Um, but Blakovich could certainly set himself up as next. He's he's not the sexiest candidate to get that title shot. Um, he shoot, you know, may have to go off and 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 fight uh, fight Corey Anderson. That you know that might make sense considering uh, their history, but. Um, you know these 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 middleweights bumping up to 205. Good luck. It's that gap, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. That gap has always been, to me, one of the hardest for fighters to figure out. Because you're fighting at 85, you're already fighting guys who weigh about 205 or 210 on fight night. Now you're fighting at 205, you're fighting guys that are 225 or 230 on fight night. It's an entirely different deal. And Jacare is not a light heavyweight. He does not have a light heavyweight frame. Um, you know, even if he goes out and beats Blakovich, I believe that. Um, so very, very difficult test for him to move up in, in weight class. That's the main event down there in Sao Paulo. The card also features um, Mauricio Shogun Hua, who I referenced recently is uh, in that BMF conversation, right? That, that 2005 version of Shogun, a killer. He was 23. Now we're talking about 37-year-old Shogun in 2019. You know, I don't know. He's won four or five, but... Lots of butts there. Lots of like, mm, hold on here, timeout with Mauricio Shogun Hua. Uh, Eve goes off and beats Paul Craig. That's fine. Craig is a repl- replacement, uh, not the original opponent for Shogun. Fine. Uh, I, I don't know where that leaves uh, one of the greatest fighters that I've ever seen personally. Um, but here we are. And the, up and down the card, some interesting contests. Not the deepest UFC we've, we've seen, but that's okay because there's a tremendous, tremendous cards coming up down the road rest of the year, especially that 245 card that uh, Uriah Faber happens to be on. And uh, looking forward to chatting with him next. I am Josh Gross. You're listening to Gross Point Blank. Welcome back to Gross Point Blank. Our first guest this week, Uriah Faber, the California kid, has been doing it since 2003. Um, we were just talking off air, Uriah, about uh, you know I, I'd been I'd been in this game a little bit before you, just in terms of you know covering pro fights, but I, I've seen you from the very beginning. Now, 16 years in, um, the kid in 2003, Uriah, would he have accepted the idea that he'd be fighting in 2019? Would that have been something that that made sense to him? <laughs> I would say probably not. I mean, of course, at the time. My uh, role models and the guys that I was training with were Randy Couture and and uh, Dan Henderson. So I, mean, I, I guess it wouldn't have been out of the question. But if you would have asked me then, I would I would have said probably not. <laughs> the the kids that you see coming up today, how how different do they look at the sport in terms of like opportunity or where they think a career in mixed <laughs> martial arts can take them relative to what you thought the space could pre- present to you when you were getting started. I mean, it's got to be light years of difference. When I first started in the sport, uh, there was, you know, it was illegal in California, as you know, and there was no weight class for me in the UFC. The lightest weight class was 170 pounds. They'd already taken out 155 pounds. There's only three events a year. The guys were getting paid hardly anything to, you know, to fight, <clears throat> let alone if they won, it would be like, maybe 150 grand, something like that. So uh, it wasn't on TV. It wasn't on ESPN. It wasn't on Fox. It was, you know, Dana was still thinking that females would never be able to fight in the UFC. And and there was no weight weight class that, that uh, in the foreseeable future that could be highlighted for, for smaller guys. It was, uh, it was pretty barbaric at the time. So 
Um, they've got a lot more to look forward to, but it's still going to take the same type of mentality to have success, in my opinion. So there are constants, right? If you're a fighter in your in your heart and your soul, this is what you're doing. There there are things that bind fighters, despite whatever generation they're from. Is that is that your sense of it? Yeah, hundred percent. And the guys that are doing it for the wrong reason, I mean, they get weeded out real quick. This is not a a sport to be half in, half out, or doing it so you can get you know get on TV. I mean, those kind of people get hurt and and move on quickly. You stepped away from the game in 2016. How much of a was a challenge for you to say, you know what, this is a time for me I need to take for myself and, and move past the competition phase? And then when you start getting that itch again, um, how much of that are you feeling like, well, you know, all fighters who have walked away go through this relative to saying, no, this is my experience and I recognize that I, that I want to jump back in there and it, this is a real impulse that I'm going to pursue. What, what, was the, what was the feeling like around that? You know, Retiring was just purely because I felt like I wanted to. I, I had, you know, I had been that year at the pinnacle fighting Dominic Cruz again for the world championship. I lost that fight, and then I lost the second fight uh, to Jimmy Rivera that was kind of a lackluster performance on both sides, if you ask me. Um, he won right, via ankle kicks, basically. And uh, I, I was already super occupied in a bunch of different areas there's a lot of things i wanted to focus on in life that i hadn't had chance to it was hard for me to get the hair rising on my 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 neck and and getting the real excitement so i was kind of chasing these these big fights like a frankie edgar going up a weight class and and going after the title again and um you know, i just felt like i wanted to to give it a break and i, I wasn't of course ever completely out of the game i stayed within the usada drug pool and i was still getting fights offered to me from the ufc brass occasionally and so you know and i'm doing these grappling competitions so you're staying in the you know staying fit and and mentoring the guys in the gym so i was always kind of present there but um getting back in was a harder thing because it's it's easy to sit around even if you're at practice and you're not doing practice it's 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 easy to to be comfortable and and it's very uncomfortable to get back into fight mode so when when i'm you know 20 years deep into training hard and then you take a couple years and and you're able to just trade when you want to and not have to push through adversity and eat what you want and that kind of stuff you know it took a real mental switch and a real uh pro and con before i jumped back out And, and the cons uh, were minimal compared to all the pros. So that was the, the, uh, you know, the final decision there. You're a guy who maximizes his time as well as anyone I've ever met. I mean, your, your time management skills, you, you need to be off like teaching courses on this stuff. Now, all of a sudden you have all this time and space to yourself. How, how did you handle that extra? Um, you know, you didn't have to occupy your space with getting ready for fights and really sort of being focused in that way. What did you do to fill the gap? Oh my gosh, I got busier. It was wild, man. I, I mean, <clears throat> of course, running multiple businesses and and then still being somebody that's in the limelight on some level, coaching the guys. I was still there for practices. Um, you know, started a family. That that of course is a, a big life change. Um, I felt like I got busier once I was uh, once I was retired. Busier, still in the gym, but um, not having that release of getting to compete and. And of course, uh, a big payday every three to four months. Uh, you know that that that's another something that that uh, that you miss when you're uh, when you're retired. No question about it. And you were you were a guy who really early on identified your value, right? You you recognize that I, I'm I'm a fighter that has value, and I, I think a lot of these guys throughout their careers sort of develop that cog mentality where they're just sort of a piece of the puzzle, but. You, you, from what I felt covering your career and talking to you over the the years that we've talked, that was never something that you put off. You, you were always. It felt like you were unique in the space. Was that on purpose? Like, how did how did you develop that? Um, you know, I I think I could have played a little harder ball when it came to negotiating and whatnot. But, um, you know, as far as knowing your value, just it's it's based on things that you want. And the reason why I was fighting is because. Uh, I enjoyed the lifestyle. It's not because of, um, you know, anything else. And 
other than wanting to do what I wanted to do in life and, and not having to have a nine to five that I didn't like to do to make a little time to do something that I did want to do. And, uh, with that comes, you know, a value of what you want. And so <clears throat> I did, I did, you know, in, in comparison to other guys in my weight class and at the time and everything else, I was always probably the highest paid guy, but it's still, um, you know, guys like Conor McGregor have, have learned how to, to hold the, you know, hold the, the brass accountable and, and get more money and, and do, do things that are, uh, they're pretty impressive. And so I think guys like that have helped change the game even more. And that was the beginning of that. But, uh, but that's like the next level. And, and you, you had one of those experiences because your fight against uh, Jose Aldo, when it was, they, it was billed as Faber versus Aldo, there was like, it wasn't even WEC headlining it. It wasn't a UFC fight. It, that always felt like a unique kind of moment. Um, do you remember it that way as well? The way it was promoted, the way it was set up, the, that the circumstances around that fight. Yeah, and and you know that was a very unique fight, and the, the whole thing with that fight is with a with a myself and Jose Aldo is just Jose Aldo and Uriah Faber. It was a transition time, but a lot of people didn't understand what was happening or what had happened or how the whole world worked in mixed martial arts. What was happening was, and I had been asking for it for for a long time because i was never getting the recognition because it was a wc not a ufc um organization even though it was both owned by zufa so <clears throat> that was the the merging of the ufc and the wc and that was the precursor to the wc just getting merged into the ufc even though they were always the same company so um that was super unique and that was a pay-per-view that we got to share in and um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's one of those things where you look back and, and, uh, you know, kind of think, you know, why did they not do that earlier? Why didn't they merge them earlier? But at the time they were cornering the market, they had two TV deals, two sets of sponsorship deals. They had, you know, more, more jobs for more fighters. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of UFC, you know, doing their thing to, to, to corner the the MMA market and and shut out some of the the competition. Yeah, and um, clearly you guys have uh, both of you fighters had uh, tremendous careers and still continuing. He'll be on this card with you, UFC 245, December 14th in Las Vegas. It's uh, I think top to bottom, it, it lines up as maybe one of the best UFC cards of the year. And there's been some good ones. Uh, you are taking on Peter Jan, the Russian fighter. It's your second fight since your comeback. Of course, you had a great comeback against Ricky Simone in Sacramento. I mean, that was that was fairy tale stuff, right? I mean, that's as good as it gets. Yeah, that was pretty awesome, man. And, and it's funny because I wasn't necessarily coming back just because it was in Sacramento, even though it kind of played out and seemed that way. Um, I had already started thinking about fighting. I'd already been, you know, priming the pump as far as my training goes and, and talking to uh, UFC brass about it. And it just, that opportunity pushed it over the limit. The fact that it was in my hometown and, and everything else. So it was kind of a, a shorter notice, even though I'd, I'd been prepping for it, but it did go perfectly. And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, it's always tempting to, to walk off on a home run, but um, you know, that wasn't why I was doing it. It wasn't to go in and, you know, just have a one hitter quitter. I was, I was there to, uh, to get back in for a little bit, get a taste and, and, uh, take this serious. And, and I think, you know, I made a, I made a bit of a statement and, and I'm excited to get back in there and, and take even a bigger risk in a, in another tough young fighter and, and do it again. You said in the cage right afterwards to Michael Bisping that, um, you know, the main reason, I think you said the only reason really why you do this is to test yourself against the best in the world. And where would you put Peter Yawn in, in that conversation? He's possibly, he, I mean, he's pretty much undefeated. I guess he's 13-1 and one with, with uh, a blemish coming on a disqualification, I think, or something odd. So, you know, until somebody's proven that he's not, he, he could be one of the best guys in the world. And and that's kind of the UFC. They gave me a bunch of options on on the fights, and they some guys that were ranked much lower, and there's some some other you know possibilities. And 
And they said, but this is the guy that we'd like you to fight. If you want to be in title contention, like, you know, this is the way it, it plays out. You know, you can fight Sanhagen or Marias, but we have them slotted with, with Aldo and, and Frankie now. We'd like you to fight Jan. And they gave us maybe a couple other options of, and this is Dana specifically, that, that guys that weren't going to get me in the discussion. And for me, I remember meeting Peter Jan for the first time. And I think it's just a human instinctual thing when you, when you can tell somebody's a, a stud or a, a formidable opponent, you want to compete against him. And I was retired at the time and uh, had kind of an itch to fight the guy then. And, and it's funny that it's all, all coming to fruition. He's very tough, man, dangerous opponent. And, and uh, <clears throat> I know he's Olympic level boxing, which I've boxed plenty of those guys prior. Uh, he looks like he's got pretty well-rounded game, but I'm excited for the for the fight and to to disappoint him. What, what's it like being the experienced guy now? How how, how like how advantageous does that feel? <clears throat> you know, I I don't know how much of an advantage it, it feels like. I definitely feel like there's areas that I'm much better than him at. And there's areas that he might be slightly better than me at. Um, and now are being able to get to those positions uh, is, is always the question. So uh, I think if it tit for tat, we, we, we go in every single category of, of mixed martial arts. I'm, I'm definitely the better fighter. He has youth on his, on his side, obviously. We won't know how strong he is or how fast he is until you get right in front of him. But, uh, you know, he's a game fighter. He's not going to get tired. He's not going to back down. Um, I'm looking to go in there and, and take something from finish, not just, uh, you know, try to have a good game plan. This is going to be a war. That that knockout against uh, Ricky Simone, it's it kind of makes the question I'm going to ask you seem foolish, but... Um, do you feel like you've lost a little off your fastball? Do, do you get you, that's like a sports reference? You know, you maybe maybe you don't you're not you're not busting hitters. You know, throwing ninety seven, ninety eight. It's a little bit slower, but you're a little bit craftier. Is that is that kind of a fair assessment of where you are at this stage? Um, I don't think so. You know, the if you look at logic on on mixed martial arts and martial arts in general, if the ninety year old master of of kung fu or karate or whatever <clears throat> could maintain a uh his his body and speed and continue to grow his knowledge i mean he's going to walk through everybody so it becomes like a, a juggling point of are you increasing your knowledge and getting better in, in your skill set and are you maintaining your body and and for me maintaining my body has been a lifelong thing it's just the way i was raised and and the way i live my lifestyle so uh, i feel like i've still got some real um, some real danger all the way around. And I feel like I'm really fast because I'm going against guys like Cody Garbrandt in, in sparring this last, this, uh, this last Wednesday I had Cody Garbrandt, Song Yadong, uh, Ben Walos from, from CSA, who's a Bellator in the kickboxing world champ. <clears throat> I have, uh, you know, all the young guys that, that, that are, you know, climbing for their opportunities and, and speed is not an issue for me, and power is not an issue for me. So I don't know when that's going to drop off for me, but I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a late developer. And um, if you look at my last two fights, Brad Pickett in 2016, I dropped him with a left hook and almost finished him. And then Ricky Simone, I, I dropped him with a right. Um, a lot of my submissions have come off of, of knockdowns, mm -hmm. you know, throughout my career. It's been like, you know, Michael McDonald and Brian Bowles and, um, you know, the list goes on of guys that I've rocked with, with left hooks or right hands or high kicks, whatever it is. And, uh, <clears throat> and I still, I, I feel like even more so I'm definitely bigger than I used to be, which is makes it hard for the weight cut, but I never, you know, in my, in my retired time, I was 167 pounds at one point, which is crazy and still in good shape. So, uh, I'm a bigger guy. I maybe lost a little bit off uh, speed, and and we'll see if I can still take a punch like I used to. But it seems like uh, everything's intact. I'm picturing like a chubby Uriah Faber. Is that that's not how, that that sounds crazy to me? I wouldn't say chubby. How about round, <laughs> like Pluto? <laughs> not chubby. 
I, I mean, like a barrel, but still with a six pack. Someone was like, I don't know how you can be fat and still have a six pack. Not really fat, just round. Well, so if anybody could pull it off, it's you, I suppose. You said that that pu- that, that punch uh, that you landed against uh, Ricky Simone, you learned that from Song Yudong, a 21-year-old Chinese fighter uh, who's now in the UFC as well. Um, how much, I mean, you talked about these masters who continue to learn and, and understand the game. Uh, how much are you learning these days? And, and how much can you still learn? Um, you know, what what is mixed martial arts... How is how is it different in in the ways that when you first came up? Because you know it seemed like it was sort of more to rudimentary, right? It was you understood it was style versus style, and, and guys were sort of into the basics. And the 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 transition period was like, oh, if you if you could wrestle a little bit, and you were a Muay Thai fighter, you were pretty tough. But it, it seems so much more complicated now, and so much more varied. What, what where where is your head in terms of like your the learning curve these days? I mean, there's a lot to learn. I, I think. You know, and I and I've I've coached a lot too. So if you look at it, there's only a certain amount of p- parts to mixed martial arts. There's a part where you're standing apart from each other, and you're standing right in front of each other. There's parts where you're either trying to engage and grab onto the guy, or he's trying to avoid getting grabbed. Then there's once you're grabbing each other, and they're separating, or you guys go to the ground. And once it's on the ground, you're either going to try to control or or submit or knock the guy out, or he's going to try to reverse you and submit you and knock you out. And then you're back up and you're standing again. So it just becomes how well can you, you know, train your instincts and then how much technique can you, can you make work for you? And and some people don't need to improve. I mean, if you look at Dan Henderson, I'm sure he's made a ton of improvement throughout the years. Uh, in all sorts of different areas, but you know we see the H bomb, and he's got his body locks, and and he's got his you know low kick to to the right hand, and and but he's made of friggin' steel, and he's mentally tough, and he's always in good shape, and and guys can't mess with him, and you know so <clears throat> I think it's it's a it's a combination of both. You can get really really good at stuff, but you can also just win on fundamentals, great conditioning, and, and a good mentality. Who are uh, I mean? You mentioned working with Cody and, and some of the other people in the gym. Who who are some of the young prospects that you have now? Because it's a constant churn, right? Uh, new people coming up, showing. And who who are some of the people that you're working with right now that you think fans are going to need to know here in the next year or two? Well, a couple guys for sure. There's a guy who just got signed, um, who's who's on the verge of getting signed with the UFC. We don't have something scheduled for him yet. Alexander Munoz, he's a, a tough kid from Texas, wrestled in Oklahoma, and um, he's a 155-pounder. He's 5-0 and now, 6-0. and He's got one-punch knockout power. He's great at scrambling and and uh, and has been putting in a lot of work. So he just fought on Dana White looking for a fight in Hawaii. Um, I've got Kaleo Romero that's going to – he's going to be fighting here in about – week and a half in combates he's a state runner-up wrestler he's four and one now and he's just a grinder he works his butt off i've got uh slava borshev who's a kickboxing world champion and we've been having trouble getting him fight slava's 155 pounder and he is like um israel De- how do you say his name De desanio adesanya adesanya yeah he's like He's like the Russian version of that guy. He's got so many tricks, and he's been spending two years working on his grappling game. So um, he's a guy that you'll you'll definitely have to watch out for. And um, and then I've got all the the Azerbaijan guys, the the guys that come over and train with us from Tam. There's uh there's Tofik, <clears throat> who is in the tournament in Risen. He's sixteen and three, hundred fifty five pound. Uh, maybe favored to win the Risen tournament. He's awesome. Vugar, his teammate, who uh, just fought last night in Bellator, and and had a had a big win. And then uh, uh, Tofik Vugar and uh, Taral, and all these guys are are coming from other sides of the planet and and sleeping in in bunk beds and and uh, training their butt off and having a lot of success. So those those are five guys right there to really look out for. 
Are you are you noticing um, distinct differences between where fighters come from and their approach to fighting? Like regionally, doesn't matter where you're from and 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 what guys are trying to do inside the cage. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've seen big differences. You know, I've got guys from from Chechnya and Azerbaijan and the UK guys and uh, guys from Brazil and um, China and Japan and. Um, it's really, really cool to see the mixture of everybody. I mean, you see, you get to see so many different looks and the Japanese are, are a lot more like elusive and, and about timing and precision on their punches with some, some real power. And, and, uh, then you've got, you know, the <clears throat> Chechians that do a lot, a lot more like Sambo mixing with some, some good kickboxing. They do like uh, judo type throws, but, but not really traditional wrestling. Um, the Azerbaijan guys have really good stand up and kickboxing and, and, uh, mix together the, the jujitsu, but need to work on the wrestling. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different looks and, 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 uh, you find some real diamonds in there for sure. When, when you have guys coming from all over the planet, once they start mixing it up with alpha male and with you, do you, do you think there's like a, a style that gets imprinted on them because, you know, everybody knows the alpha male fighters over the years and they think of them and how they operate strong wrestlers, but you know, can bang it out, like to do that tough, hard nosed guys. Is that, is that kind of the blueprint for you? Um, we've got a lot of, a lot of stuff that kind of makes us unique. And, and so, um, you know, we give and we take when people come in, we're, we're constantly learning, but, um, the biggest secret is just continuing to grind and, and being consistent. You know, we have, set practices and, and, you know, try to get two in a day. And, and it's like, there should be a clinic every single day. We have guys that are, that are learning every single day. Uh, guys that are experts. Like today we had seven guys in practice for wrestling practice. And of course there's multiple classes throughout the day. So not everybody's going to be in every practice, but we had coach Lee Kemp, who's one of the best wrestlers in the history of the United States teaching myself and song Yudong and um you know four four or five other super high level guys and there's always something to get out of it you know i mean he he's showing top level technique with his twist on mixed martial arts and um it's been pretty awesome you know seeing the 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 daily clinics that go on in addition to live goes and whatnot and i mean the secret is Iron sharpening iron, guys showing up and doing the work. For all the evolutionary steps that this thing has taken, you know, the different styles coming in and this, you know, sort of being the fad of the week or this is working because one guy tried and all of a sudden everybody else is trying like calf kicks or stuff John Jones is doing and, and people sort of realizing that that's an option. Does this game really come down to the basics and, and sort of the fundamentals of iron sharpens iron, mentally strong? You know, at, at the end of the day, it is a fight after all. <clears throat> oh, 100%. I mean, that's like people are like, oh, now the fighters of this age, like they said in boxing and everything else too. A tough mofo is a tough mofo at any time in, in, in the planet. And, and uh, you know, the fundamentals and mastering fundamentals, not looking for the secret sauce. Like that's what I used to, you know, you get – when you have a team of guys that have been around for – you know, now since 2004 or whatever, uh, we're looking at, what is that? 15 years of, of, of guys. You see all sorts of guys that come through and the guys that don't believe in themselves all the time are trying to find the excuse why what we're doing is not working, you know? And, uh, and it's comical to me because look, learn boxing and get really good at boxing, learn wrestling, get really good at wrestling. Learn jujitsu, get really good at jujitsu. Understand how to blend it together, get really good at blending it together. It's about hours and repetitions and constantly learning and and doing your doing your part, which is showing up and training with a focus and intent, um, and being held accountable. You know, and and a lot of people, especially when they start doubting themselves, just start trying to point the finger everywhere else when when in my opinion for the fight game and i'm a guy that's been at the top level for 16 years now and i was a pretty good wrestler in in, in college got a got a late start in the wrestling game but just stayed consistent uh it's it's about you know 
getting that that consistency. Yeah. For for the guys that have uh, come in and stayed with you, and you know, some have gone off and done done other things, and sometimes there's been hard feelings around it. I, I I'm not saying there's hard feelings around this, but you know, Cody Garbrandt had talked recently about going off to train with Mark Henry. Do you are you open to that? Is that something that you feel like, yo, guys, go off and do your own thing, or does there need to be some loyalty paid to to the gym to what's happening in Sacramento? No, man, it's this has been so misconstrued. Like our team. And you can you can talk to, uh, you know, <clears throat> Rafael Docent or the 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 coaches throughout the years. We've always had an an open door policy. We let guys come in. You know how many guys that I've fought that have come and trained with me before? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a lot. Guys that have, have been, we have like an open door policy as long as you're respectful and and bring something to the table. And we've always encouraged guys to go, you know, get looks every uh, other places. And so. Um, the problem comes where you get coaches that try to, that try to break guys down, you know, look like this is, this is, this is the way it goes. We want guys to believe they can, no matter what, when somebody is money gets involved and they want, uh, you to feel like you can't without them. That's not healthy. That's what pimps do. Right. <clears throat> we have a history of guys trained from all over. We've got some, a great relationship with, with CSA, with, uh, uh, you know, with, you know, we train crossing with the Diaz brothers for years in the past. We have, uh, you know, sent guys out to Duke Rufus's gym and vice versa and Mark Delagrati and vice versa. And, um, it's, it's, it's awesome to get good looks and it's awesome to, to, to get something, you know, where you're getting a different look, especially like Cody's in a hard spot right now. You know, I don't care how, you know, how mature you are or how disciplined you are when, when you go on a a rough run and of course he's fighting at highest level guys and, you know, uh, having, having a result where he's, where he's losing three fights in a row, man, you get everybody and their mom questioning what you're doing, coming up with this excuse and that excuse and this and that. And Cody just knows that, he needs to focus, and and if he if he feels like he wants to get a little edge and try something that is going to give him that edge mentally, then then we're all for it. And, and Cody's been in helping me train for this fight. He he pushes with song, and and he's he brings a lot to the table as a supporter of of what we're doing. But he really needs to just know that it can happen for him. It will happen for him. And if he's he wants to to take a look with with Mark Henry, who seems like a great guy. You know, the great coach, Mark Henry, I can't remember, you know, the guy self-promoting ever. Mm-hmm. That's one of the best things about 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 a coach. Some of these coaches, <laughs> they're hiring themselves friggin' cameramen to follow them around, and they're just, you know, doing the whole promotional bit. I come from the wrestling world of coaching where, you know, it's not about the coach. It's about the fighter. So I'm, I'm pretty – pretty excited for for Cody to work with a humble guy like that in addition to being part of our team um, versus some of the other guys that we've had to deal with in the past. Uriah Faber's been doing this for a long time, uh, knows the game as well as anybody. He's got a big fight coming up a month from now, uh, December 14th in Las Vegas against Peter Yan. Important fight for him, important fight for the Bantamweight division. Uriah, this fight goes your way. What, is, what does 2020 look for you? What, what, is, what, are you, what are you hoping for out of 2020? Well, you know, this could go a bunch of different ways for me. I could, I could win the fight and demand a, a title shot. I could win the fight and and fight somebody else, uh, get another a payday and have some fun. I could, I could win the fight and retire. I could win the fight. And, I mean, I could do whatever. Uh, same goes for if I if I were to lose a fight. I'm no stranger to to adversity. I, I don't ever go into a fight thinking I'm going to lose a fight, but, uh, you know, in, in the case that happens, we'll just take it as, as it comes. I, I have no problem, you know, stepping away and I have no problem staying in. It's all about my feelings of what I want to do. And that's how I've run my life. It's been, it's been about my passions, my instincts and, and am I having fun right now? The fun, the game has not been this fun for me in a long time, which you know, sometimes you have to step away and, and get new motivations like 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 I've got in my life to make you realize how 
how lucky you are to be doing what you're doing and, and how lucky I am to have the ability to just step right in if I want to and be one of the top fighters on the planet. I mean, how many people can say that in any, any regard? I'll take a break, retire, I'll step right back in and be one of the top dogs on the, on the planet. I mean, I can do that. <clears throat> and so I feel very fortunate about that. And, and I'll just take one fight at a time. And, and I'm excited to get in there and test my, test my skill in, in the, the path that I've chosen as a mixed martial artist against another guy that's chosen the best, best path, the same path, and, and is doing the hard, the hard work. I mean, this Peter Yan kid is a stud. I mean, I know from watching him that he takes this serious. These are the kind of guys I love to fight. This is the kind of guy when it's not going to, you know, I'm not going to break the guy. I'm not going to, uh, you know, it's not going to be anything other than, than a champion mindset. And th that's when I perform the best. Been doing it for a long time, Uriah. And uh, I've appreciated the chance to follow your career and, and talk to you and write about you over the years as always, man. Thank you for taking the time. You got it, buddy. We're going over 15 years now. It's kind of wild. <laughs> you haven't <laughs> it, changed, it, it man. I, your your face looks exactly the same. It's nuts. I don't I don't know <laughs> if that's a good thing or not, Uriah, but I, I'll say it's thank you to that. I appreciate it. And uh, <laughs> you're, uh, Peter Yan may call you the California man now, but you'll always be the California kid to us out here on the West Coast, all right? No, Peter doesn't know how to speak English. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> he spelled his name wrong, too. It's not P-E-T-R. It's P-E-T-E-R. Yeah, that's 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 not your best trash talk, but keep working on it, all right? <laughs> Have a good one. All right, take care. Uriah Faber, appreciate the chat. Uh, a man who got his start inside uh, King of the Cage and Gladiator Challenge, and a lot of that hasn't changed over the years. We're going to talk to Patrick Mix next, a young bantamweight with Bellator who got his start in King of the Cage and uh, looks like a stud. We'll talk to him on the other side. I'm Josh Gross. You're listening to Gross Point Blank. Welcome back to Gross Point Blank, and thank you to Uriah Faber, a, uh, a legend of mixed martial arts, but especially of the smaller weight classes, 145 and now 135. Joining us on the uh, hotline now, Patrick Mix, who's uh, had to have looked up to Uriah Faber at some point, right? You're a undefeated young bantamweight. You're just 26. You're making your way in this game. What, uh, what are your thoughts on people like Uriah Faber who paved the way for you? Uh, I got a lot of respect for guys like Uriah Faber. Uh, I grew up watching them. I remember like being in like maybe low level high school, middle school, possibly even watching them in the WEC. So uh, got a lot of respect for those guys, you know. Like uh, like yourself, Uriah actually came up through that King of the Cage Glad Air Challenge kind of pipeline, and that's something you're familiar with. You fought a lot of your fights for King of the Cage. Um, do you still see that as as one of the best avenues for young fighters to come through? Why was that the, the right path for you? Uh, King of the Cage was just convenient for me because it was local to me. Uh, like like I said, I did a – like you said, pardon, I had an extensive amateur career. So when I was a pro, all I wanted to do was fight locally because I traveled everywhere as an amateur. So um, when I turned pro, it, it became legal in New York, and King of the Cage had been coming to uh, these local shows around my area. You're a, you're a Buffalo, New York guy. That's where you are right now. It's about a week before you head back to Albuquerque to go train uh, at the Jackson Camp, Jackson Winkle John, where you've, uh, you've made quite a, quite a stir here. Uh, your two fights, your 3-0 in 2019, two wins in Bellator, super impressive. Your last one came actually just a few weeks ago. The Suolev stretch, man, that's, uh, that's one of the crazier submissions I think people can pull off. And, and I guess you've done it before, right? You've done that twice in fights? Yeah, same same exact scenario where I had a body triangle and I stretched him like it's, it's almost like it's actually the same exact move. Uh, I hit it like one year ago, like from today or yesterday or something, November 10th of uh, or November 18th, pardon me, or one of the two of last year. So almost going on a year. Now for you, is that is that a submission that's just a pure pain submission or are you like, are you tearing muscles at that point? Like what what where's the... Where's the reason why people are going to freak out and tap to that? Um, I think I'm tearing, like, muscles in the hamstring, the knee. There's, like, multiple things going on with it. Uh, it's definitely painful. Like, if um, I rarely hit it in the gym. I mean, I do hit that move in the gym as well, but I never crank it. You know what I mean? I just kind of I kind of let it go from the position we're at. But in fights, I can push that to, like, you know, maximum effort where – you know, I don't even know what it would tear, but I think it would tear more or less the knee um, back, like a knee bar in a sense, too. 
Yeah, real nasty. That's where the pain comes from. Yeah, that's where the pain would come from, I believe. Yeah, real nasty. And and you got it as you were like, uh, I think you had the back control. You were body lock on him. And he was sort of kind of bridge up. He was trying to tripod and it got you close to a leg. Is that is that the best scenario to pull a submission like that? How, how many entry points is to are there uh, that you've experienced into that Sulev stretch? Um, Just not even from there. Like, I play a lot of bad game on the V2 and like, a lot of guys, like, I'm pressuring a lot forward. Like, they're going for to stand up in that position, for instance, that scenario. But I'm forcing that, you know, with the top pressure, with elbows. You know, it's um, it's a lot of top pressure. And then the entry points, there's multiple entry points that I could hit that move from. Um, one of them being if you step up. In my first fight, I could have realistically hit it against Benjayaz when he bent over. You know, I didn't, but I'm saying that that's another entry point right there. Do you have... Um... I mean, this is a this is a leading question, Patrick. But from from a back control perspective, do you feel like you've got a game that just is sort of next level that people can't contend with? Uh, if if you get that on on your opponents, that's sort of game over. Um, no, I'm just very good there. Like uh, I'm persistent and I'm relentless there. You know what I mean? I don't uh, when I go for things, I don't like to give them back, and uh, I'm always hunting. You know, I could hunt a move one time, or I'll hunt it ten times. You know, I'll hunt it the whole time. Though. You know, that's what makes me so good at there. Um, it may, makes me dangerous. I've been dangerous there my whole pro career. I've had every single person uh, fight. I mean, person's back that I've ever fought, pardon. And, uh, you know, I know my game's very uh, well-rounded there. But I have a lot of other game um, places on the ground, should I say, where I feel very confident in my game. I don't feel like my back control is the best of my game. I just feel like that's the most of my game that people have seen. Do you uh, – well, they have because you've really controlled your opponents. Um, I haven't seen you play too much from the bottom uh, guard work. What, what, what do you think of that element uh, of, of your game? If, if you ended up stuck on the bottom, um, is that, would that be surprising for you? No, no. I play um, – I'm not this wrestler that was like a traditional uh, – uh, I was a folk-style wrestler, but I'm not a traditional, uh, you know, the short, stocky wrestler that's just hammer and takedowns. I was always crafty from top, bottom. Um, all these positions. So when I transitioned to jujitsu, I was very young, young age. Like I, I used to be a lot better off my back when I first started than anything. You know what I mean? I used to train when I was like 16, I was training with these pros and uh, I was submitting everyone off my back. So not that I necessarily, I'm not there um, in my fights often, but in the gym, I'm there all the time. And uh, I feel very confident in my back, the setups that I get uh, where they lead me to, um, uh, you know, when I sweep or when I attack uh, submissions from my back, the advances that they leave me are similar to my advancements I make from the back as well. So you're a 16 year old kid training with pros. At, at what point did you realize that this was something that you wanted to pursue uh, professionally? This is this is this was the sport for you. It's always been that way, man. Like I was kind of just brought into it when I was a young age. I didn't really want to do. Uh, I don't know, man. College and school and. Uh, work and even just any job man all i wanted to do when i was a kid was wrestling i wanted to go to the gym with my buddy who was a pro fighter and i always knew that he was a fighter and was getting paid and that was his aspirations and i figured he would make it there as well so i always wanted to do that you know i was always good at that age so i always said that that's what i'm gonna do you know and um, has it gone the way that you expected it to? Uh, has it really unfolded? Did you, did Are you one of these guys who sort of like not even vision boards it, but like, you know, the secret kind of imagine where you're going to be and manifest it that way? How, how have you mapped out your, your career so far? I don't know, man. It just kind of gotten to this point uh, and it just uh, played out as such. I don't, I didn't really envision um, all the success or the, you know, like last week, two weeks ago, I'm fighting at the Mohegan Sun. And now I have an opportunity on Risen. Or, for instance, June rolls around and they offer me Benjayas at uh, Madison Square Garden. You know, this year just itself, I didn't, uh, I knew my hard work would eventually pay off, but I never really envisioned where, um, I knew it would be in a major promotion. You know, I always thought that, but I didn't specifically think this, you know, spot in Bellator and just such a quick rise. But um, I just wanted to take it a fight at a time and, um, you know, one day at a time and really focus on keeping my uh, winning streak intact throughout the entire, you know, duration of how long I've been fighting. 
Yeah, you you were on the cusp of uh, entry into the Ultimate Fighter. You were in the last sixteen, uh, and it sounds like some of your contractual obligations to King of the Cage got in the way of that, which is fairly typical for King of the Cage fighters. Um, in the end, uh, obviously that's not the way it went for you. You're in Bellator now. You're fighting at thirty five, and and that's the weight class you prefer. Um, did things work out uh, the way that they should have for you? Uh, could you what what would have happened perhaps if you ended up on that Ultimate Fighter season at one hundred and forty five pounds? I think that um, most likely, like, everyone's going to really see the out coming out for me. Uh, a lot of people know in my gym, and they know, you know, how skilled I am. And I'm very, like I said, I was very young. I'm growing into be a man from when I was 24 to when I'm 26 now are two different mm. um, people. So, you know, when I feel like that ultimate fight, I feel like I would have won the show. You know, I, I think Brad Katona won it. He's a 35er now. Um, I, I do well against those guys. I felt. I felt like I'd won the show and I'd still have um, uh, the same success. The same success, pardon, but the, the success only, you know, it just varies with um, the wins. And you know, I feel like I w- I'm just going to win in whatever, whatever promotion, you know? You've done it um, impressively so far. What, was the UFC experience, that ultimate fighter experience, not making it um, for, for obvious, I think contractual reasons, because of the King of the Cage is something you've talked about before. Did that influence your decision-making as you ended up in Bellator? Was there another chance to go to the UFC? I mean, how, how did you end up, uh, under Scott Coker's banner? Oh, uh, I'll, my manager, Ali, he had a bunch of different options for me. And I just felt like Bellator was the clear cut option. Um, looking at the division and, uh, you know, also obviously money and stuff. So I looked there and, uh, I felt like that was, you know, the best decision for me. And, you know, I have a family, too, my daughter. So very important to me to make the right, you know, the right decision. Obviously, I feel like I did because I'm 2-0 with the promotion and I have a lot of drawback from it already. Did, did the experience on Ultimate Fighter not getting picked have any sway in terms of your decision making? Uh, no, I don't think that it had any sway at all. Um, the Ultimate Fighter was a totally different opportunity. Uh just with the TV show in itself, you know what I mean? And also, uh, not just that, but it also being, uh, you know, up away class. So I didn't really mind too much. Yeah, well, you, you chose Bellator, and uh, so far so good. Two tremendous performances. Like you mentioned, your first win was at Madison Square Garden over Ricky Bendejas. And um, I was there at that fight, and afterwards at the, at the post-fight press conference, you you talked about, you know, really having serious intentions in this sport and being the best and, you know, just wondering about your thought process with that. Um, how far away are you from feeling like you are the best version of yourself? I mean, how, how, how much room to grow do you have? And a lot. I don't feel like I'm the best version of myself anywhere close to it right now. You know, I'm so young. I feel like I just started, honestly. I have a lot of fights, but, man, uh, like, I don't, uh, I don't know. Like, I need, like, 30, 40 fights, you know what I mean? So I'm thinking I'm anywhere, so. Like, I got a good 20, 30 fights left before I think. You know what I mean? I got to prove myself for – I think I have 23 fights overall. I got to do everything I just did. I got to do that all over again. You know what I mean? At least, you know, in my mind, to prove that uh, to myself. This this opportunity to go to Japan now. So you're 26. Pride's basically been dead for 13 years. Did you have any frame of reference of what Pride was back in the day? Were you watching mixed martial arts then? Well, I mean, 26, I, that'd be 13. I probably was watching it then. I mean, I I watched Pride when I was like 16, 17 because I was so into it. I mean, I don't think Pride was around as big, but I knew who, like, when Vanderlei Silva fought Chuck Liddell, like, um, those fights, should I say, you know? Like, when he was coming over. I remember watching those fights. Uh, so I, I'm definitely familiar with Pride and, uh, you know, the rules and all of it, man. I watch, I'm a super, super uh, avid fan of MMA on top of being in the sport. Like, I know everyone at every way, you know, like even in the lower promotions, I'm just a big, huge fan of it. And it seems like uh, in Jackson's, there's a new crop coming up. You know, it's always this cyclical thing where uh, people talk, oh, this this gym's not producing anybody. And then all of a sudden you've got four or five stud fighters. And it seems like that's what's happening at Jackson's. Are you feeling that when you're there, that there's this young energy, young crop of fighters really sort of uh, trying to improve together? Yeah, 100%, man. I'm definitely uh, seeing that and feeling that uh, um, 100%. I know them all, you know what I mean? I'm part of them. I'm one of the guys that are really uh, leading the new crop of guys, you know what I mean? Uh, Not leading because 
you know, I really fly under the radar, but I'm one of the best, you know what I mean? So I'm held to a high regard. But there's like 10 of us, man, uh, that have just been winning, banging these fights out. Uh, Christian Edwards, he's my roommate out there. He just fought one in 16 seconds on Bellator, knocked out, knocked the kid out with a head kick last weekend. Uh, Edwin Cooper, myself, uh, Dan, uh, Arguleta, um, there's just so many, man. I, I mean, we have like 10 really, really Rodney, AJ Robb, uh, just like 10 really um, young, young guys all my age. They're all coming up and we're all like, we can all compete really well with each other. Yeah, Cr- Christian is I actually wrote about him before his well, right after his pro debut. But I interviewed him before that. I was at I was in Albuquerque uh, before John fought Tiago Santos and, and had a chance to meet him. He he seems to have all the tools, man. And you you seem to have a keen eye on on what makes a great fighter. Um, for the people who haven't paid attention to Christian Edwards yet, you know why should they? Why why is he sort of someone that I think Bellator really really nailed it when they signed him. Um, I think they really nailed it uh, when they signed Christian. Like I said, man, he's super hungry. Like we share food. We sh- me and that kid, we share food together. Like we literally live in the same apartment at Jackson's. It's I only have one roommate, and it's normally um, unless uh, Devin Clark's in town. It's just me and Christian, and that's how we've been this whole last year since we both been signed to Bellator, made our debuts, and all this stuff. So I know how hungry he is. I see, you know, we both don't really have much, and we come from not a lot. So to be able to make something you know i think just his hunger and his drive and his motivations everything and then you match that with his age christian's only 20 years old you know he's very motivated for a 20 year old kid um i won't even want to call him a kid because he's so much bigger than me you know what i mean i call him like <laughs> like a man you know what i mean he's a 20 year old man now but uh he's very motivated and hungry and you give someone like that an opportunity like this uh you know i just with his skills his athleticism and now his you match that with, you know, drive, dedication, um, those other intangibles. Uh, it's just a recipe for success. So I definitely think that Bellator hit the um, – they nailed the – they got a jackpot with him because I think he could be just like John if not. You know what I mean? There's a lot of similarities with John Jones. Yeah, and he's only 20. That's the thing that's crazy for me, you know what I mean, in the whole midst of it all, you know. No question just about so it. so young. Yeah, but he seems very mature for his age as well. Hey, I want to ask you about your your nicknames here. It seems like you got two of them, Patchy or No Love. I think John McCarthy was trying to call you Backpack after your last fight. What what do you, what why Patchy? Why No Love? And and of the two of them, is, is there one that uh, you feel describes you better, or you want to be known as more uh, than the other? Um, no, I feel like they just kind of mix it up because. Uh... Uh, the first time I came to Bellator, they were calling me something, and it just messed my whole name up. Like they know everyone knows me from where I'm from as Patchy. Like my name's Patrick. Like I don't know who. Maybe you know. I don't know. Maybe a girlfriend or something like that might call me that. I don't know. You know, my, uh, my whole family, them even themselves, they know me as Patchy. So uh, I've always been introduced as Patchy, and then my nickname's always been No Love, and then my last name Mix. So the, my first Bellator fight, they introduced me as Patrick Patchy Mix. And it was like, you know, I, I get it. But, um, you know, that's like my nickname in itself, should I say? Right. So It's, it's like, almost like Patrick Patrick Mix, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's how I felt it was. Like, my family's known me by Patchy my whole life. And that's how everyone else knows me by. So that's what I wanted to be introduced by. So, like, the last time they got it right, Patchy No Love Mix is my name. But, uh, why? Why no love? Say, why? Why'd you go with uh, that? Just because uh, this was before Cody Garbrandt came up either. You know what I mean? I, I never uh, took that name from that cat, but uh, I'm saying, um, you know, it was it was before I because I've been in this for so long. But whenever I competed, there was never no love. You know what I mean? Backstage, like I never was hugging my training partners like they were wishing me off to a funeral or farewell. You know, like I'm going to the military or something or going along away for a long time like whenever i got in the cage it was always like strict business and they always called me no love for that you know or even yeah. backstage you know yeah so i guess it just kind of grew with me and stuck yeah it has and uh people are starting to know uh, notice you now and and it's it's more love now than no love for sure at least from uh, outsider perspective and you have a chance to uh, really shine on the world stage get out there to japan fighting and rising you're uh you're taking on yuki matoya um, what's your what's your anticipation for this fight and the, the opportunity to go off and fight in a rising bout? I mean, that's that's pretty neat. That's uh, 
usually if you're locked into one organization, you're locked into one organization. You can't go anywhere else. But this is a chance for you to do something a little bit different. Yeah, it's different, man. You know, I get to represent Bellator. I think that's important on the rising stage. You know, they're sending me over. So I'm a clear representative of Bellator. So I'm going to hold that, you know, with honor as well as Jackson Wink, of course, first and foremost. But um, on top of that, I think it's cool. You know, the rule set is a little different. I think it's, um, you know, with the Risen rules, which is uh, different from the American rules here. So um, I'm excited about that, you know, you know, in a sense, too. Yeah. And the ring versus the cage, is that any kind of difference for you? Um, Man, you know, I think, like, you know, I don't think much of it, you know. I, I think just the fight – I have a fighter's mentality, man, and I think I'm one of the um, most focused fighter, you know, bantamweights in the world when uh when I come on point. And you know, I don't care if it's the ring, the cage. I don't mind what that is. To be honest with you, you know, like to be, I just found out the other day that I was fighting in the ring, like right before they announced it. You know, I didn't know if I was fighting in the Bellator uh, December 29th card or this one. You know, what I mean, it was up in the air, so. I got put on this card, which I told him either way. I don't matter. It doesn't matter to me. You know, I'll fight in either uh, the ring or the cage with underneath either rule set. You know, I don't fear the rule set or the fight. You know, um, and I just need the opportunity. And with that opportunity, you know, me versus uh, Matoya, like Yuki Matoya, should I say? Um, you know, uh, I just feel like the odds are stacked for him because you know he's fought underneath these rules almost. You know what I'm saying? No question so about like, it. Yeah. Yeah. So like, he, you know, those, those favor him, but he'll need things to favor. You know what I mean? Like I'm coming in there, you know, fully steamed, you know, all gas. And um, I plan on running him right over. Like, I don't even think he's small. You know, I think he's made 115, 125. Um, you know, I'm messing with guys that are 185 in the gym, like big guys that are good, high-level pros, and I'm submitting them. You know what I mean? Um, I hang with everybody. So I'm just thinking, like, I watched him fight, and I see his style, and I seen him fight that Henry guy last time. I think he has good techniques, no doubt. Um, I think, you know, he's got good martial arts to him. You know, no disrespect to him. But for me, my family, the opportunity um, – you know, to bring back, double up on, you know, you, we obviously get paid for this. So to double up, I just got paid in October to get paid again in December. Like I have a daughter that's at home, you know what I mean? And uh, a family and I plan on just, I don't even think it's going to be close. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to run him over. A win on New Year's Eve in Japan makes you 4-0 in 2019, and you've said 2020 is a year that you want to fight for a title, want to win a title. Uh, the unfortunate news about Kyoji Horiguchi, of course, is that he's torn his ACL, and he's out at least 10 months. I don't know what that does to your Bellator title hopes, um, but you know he's obviously a guy that you aspire to fight. What, what, is the, what are you telling Bellator here in terms of your 2020 intentions? Do you leave it up to them? Do you kind of map it out to, hey, this is what I want you to want to do, help me out here? How, how is that looking? Uh, so, like, obviously that's news to me. Like, I think I just found out that today or yesterday that he tore his ACL. So that does sideline him, pardon, for a long time. But, um, like, even this matchup here, I think he's, like, similar to Horiguchi. They both fight in this karate stance. They're both – I think both 25 pounders, smaller guys that rely on their speed. Um, Matoya's not as uh, stocky as Horiguchi. So I feel like I'm getting a matchup that resembles him in a sense, you know? So I'm happy about that. But as far as him being um, out for 10 months and all this other stuff, I'm just planning on closing the show here, putting this kid away in the first round. I do that. I'm 13 and 0 at 10 finishes. And, uh, um, then Bellator, they, you know, in my management, they always find out what's next. They know I'm hunting that title, but at the same time, I'm 13 and 0 with 10 finishes. I'm gonna come out here, like I said, I'm running this guy over, and um, after that, uh, I don't know if I'm waiting 10 months. You know what I mean to fight Horiguchi or try to. I'm not one of those guys, you know, sit out for the belt shot. You know, uh, feel like I can beat them all. You know, and I'm gonna have to eventually, anyways. So I'm trying to stay busy, stay active. If I, especially if I go out there and do what I'm, what I believe I can do here, you know, December 31st in Japan, feel like, you know, and I, I don't, whether it be, I don't think they do interim titles or I don't really even see that in Bellator as much, but let that guy heal, you know, much uh, respect. And, um, you know, he has got a family and a life himself as well. So I hope he heals up and he comes back as the best Horiguchi. 
so that when he does, you know, I'll be ready for him. Patrick Mix has had a, a tremendous 2019 so far, hoping to cap it off 4-0 December 31st. Fight was just announced. He's going to be in Ryzen, part of the Bellator Ryzen Exchange. Uh, just a 26-year-old kid here looking for his way up in the world and appreciate you taking the time uh, chatting with us, all right? Anytime, man. I hope you got the interview all right. Uh, hopefully it's like a written one, not a you know, voice one. Since <laughs> no, we, you're, we're, we're, well, this is a podcast. This is all audio, but uh, no worries. We, we got you taken care of, man. Thank you again for the time. All right, buddy. Hey, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Have a good day. All right, you too. Patrick Mix, uh, a young, young stud in the bantamweight division. Um, privileged to talk to him so early in his career. And, of course, great to talk to Uriah Faber, someone who's done it all, seen it all, uh, different stages of their careers, competitors both, no question about it. I hope you enjoyed the show this week. Uh, catch us next week. We'll have uh, some good stuff for you uh, leading into Thanksgiving weekend and all of that coming ahead. I am Josh Gross. You're listening to Gross Point Blank. Gross Point Blank.